Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday. Uh, we are actually coming to you on a Tuesday because we've switched up our recording what, what? schedules. <laughs> so it is October 27, which means we are exactly one week from Election Day. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so does that mean we're recording again on Election Day? <laughs> yeah, fuck. <laughs> oh, man. That's going to suck. <laughs> We'll be all over the place, but hopefully it'll be entertaining. I'm sure it'll be super coherent. <laughs> At least it's not the day after. That's true. Yeah. I, I, I've i actually blocked that entire day. I'm not doing anything the day after, even though I know we probably won't know anything. That's so smart. Still, you just have to process everything that happened from the night before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm picturing like some long walks. In solitude? Yeah, I know. I remember when I was in my 20s and Bush won. Mm. It's when he was running with, wait, he was running against Carrie. Oh, yeah. And we were so destroyed from that yeah. that I had roommates and we all stayed home the next day and called in sick to work and just cried all day and i think about like what that's nothing compared to how i will feel next wednesday if things go south that's funny that you bring up carrie because uh he popped up on my twitter feed and i hadn't thought about him in years i mean how why would you think of carrie <laughs> Right. <laughs> he shared this clip, and i'll make sure to share it on our socials because it's, it's hilarious um this clip of trump attempting to dance to the YMCA and Carrie's quote was something like, and they, Oh shit. See, now I'm not going to get it right. <laughs> well, don't even destroy the punchline. Oh, Just perfect. post it on socials. Yes. Why <laughs> Senator Carrie is relevant today. I'll post that. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. And we are four days out from Halloween. Oh my gosh. Are you so excited? I'm so excited. What have you all devised to do with Halloween this year? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of things in um, in the planning process. Right now, I need all of this snow to melt so I can properly decorate the outside of my house. <laughs> so inside is golden. But outside, this is why I wait to put up the outside decorations until the end because I don't want them to get ruined by a foot of snow. So I need them to melt. Then I will decorate the outside. We're talking about doing kind of like a Halloween version of an Easter egg hunt for candy. I want to do blind boxes where the kids stick their hands in and it's like eyeballs, but it's really peeled grapes. <laughs> or it's like brains, but it's really mashed up bananas. Awesome. Stuff like that. I know. I think it'll be fun. We'll make it fun, no matter what. And we might go to like 
three or four houses of people we know that are handing out candy, but it's not going to be the days of just letting them run down the street and go house to house to house, Yeah, which is a bummer, but we'll still have fun. That's all that matters. <laughs> yes. How about you? Um, yeah, me and the kids, we're really getting ready for a big Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> the kitties. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh. It, it's a big football night. Michigan plays Michigan State. Um, oh, which I, I know we talk. We've talked about football, and I know all of our listeners aren't into it. But this is kind of funny. So I went to University of Michigan. Go blue. My husband went to Michigan State, just down the road uh, a little ways. And um, we don't watch the games where our teams play against each other together because it gets so brutal. Uh, mm-hmm. and really quite nasty, actually. By the end of the game, we're throwing each other's degrees under the bus. I mean, it's it's really, really awful and not good for our marriage. So we don't watch that game together. And ideally, I'm like entirely out of the state somewhere else. Um, but I just found out my husband is about to be sent home from work and put into a quarantine Yay! So fun, <laughs> which means we will have to be at home together during the game, and I'm already stressing out about it. One upstairs, one downstairs. Almost certainly. Watching on separate TVs. We'll definitely have separate <laughs> TVs, and uh, probably, like, headphones or something, so we can't even hear. It's it's going to be a tense night in the Wassink household on Saturday. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I can't wait to hear about it. Um... Well, I want to give our listeners a quick disclaimer because I have been really sick for the last five days and took a COVID test. It's negative. It's not the Rona, but it is a really nasty head cold that makes my voice not sound so great. And there's the potential for a cough here or there. So I'm going to try my best, but please have patience with me um, that this is why I sound like I'm talking with my head in a fishbowl. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad you're finally on the upswing and able to join us today at the very least. Yeah. I mean, last night was my first night in four nights of not having to wear a breathe right nasal strip <laughs> in order to sleep at night. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I've completely depleted the house of NyQuil. Mm. So I was able to breathe on my own, unmedicated, with no nasal aids last night for the first time. So that's progress. Serious progress. We're excited for you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Well, I feel like I should ask you because you came up with this brilliant idea for today. That's true. We are going to be discussing... The media. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Fake news. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Maybe some of it is. But that is our question. We have been reading different articles um, coming out in local papers, national papers, online, that have conflicting information about the status of the sector. And so, like every episode, we wanted to have a conversation about it. Well, and this really harkens to some of the conversations we've had about predicting what year-end will look like, uh, because it is still this big unknown, huge question mark for nonprofits about what 
the big year-end giving season is going to look like, all of these media outlet, outlets have jumped on the bandwagon of trying to make their own guesses. Um, and like Brittany said, it is often conflicting. So we thought we'd yeah, let's break just... it down and uh, also add in our own ideas and predictions. Just just a little spice to throw around. Yeah, let's see who's right. <laughs> we have no idea. <laughs> so this came from, um, the idea came from an article that my dad actually gave me. He bought the USA Today, which, holy cow, newspapers nowadays, they're like three pages. Well, can I just say, I didn't realize you could buy USA Today. I thought it was just slid under your hotel room door. I didn't, I didn't know <laughs> there was another way to get it. No, I mean, you know, my dad's of the generation where get the paper and every Sunday it's like read it front to back and we don't get the paper here. So sometimes he goes out and buys it and um, he saw in the money and life section, the one of the lead articles on the front page of that section is fears spur decline in giving for nonprofits. Americans hold back amid uncertainty. So clearly the assumption there is that given the current economic state that the country is in, individuals are giving less to their charities of choice. Exactly. And that, yes, this is being magnified by the pandemic, the fear of a potential um, even further economic crisis, uh, people losing their jobs, all of that playing into um, people not giving as much. And in the article, they actually even um, equate it to when you're on a plane and they tell you that you need to put the oxygen mask on you first before you can help someone else, that that's how Americans as a whole are feeling about charity, that they are using whatever money that they have to take care of their own personal needs before being able to give to others. You're laughing. Oh, I just think it's fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Like, I, I, I fully understand, accept, and feel significant sympathy for those who are genuinely financially struggling. I mean, we're, obviously, we're continuing to see unemployment rates at really historic levels, um, and that is having a long-term impact. We're also seeing where many other countries put stimulus into place right away uh, that also sustained. The U.S. did not. And we continue to not be able to get a second stimulus bill passed. So I, I don't want to say that I am negating that experience whatsoever. For many American households right now, it is incredibly difficult. Financial situations are tenuous and it's hard. And yet, (laughs) however, (laughs) for many, it's not. And this assumption that people are hoarding their money basically for their their internal needs of their families, I think it's just such an interesting, like unique American psyche. Right. And we've talked about this before. Like, it's my money. I need it. There's something happening that is causing me not to want to to give it out because it's mine to give, which is why, again, our tax structure is fucked up because right now we need that money for people who are genuinely in need. Like, if, if we had the means to easily pass another stimulus bill and provide that to the masses, wouldn't that be more significant? Preach. I hear you. And, you know, one of the things that I got 
from reading this article right off the bat <laughs> is that it's perspective too. I mean, like whose perspective are they using? Mm -hmm. And um, it looks like most of their um, information, like their quotes that they use and stuff are from these huge national nonprofit organizations like American Cancer Society. Um, I don't know. Who else did they list in here? These really big organizations. Um, did you say and, like Girl Scouts of America? That's it. Girl Scouts of America were one of them, um, which I'm a huge Girl Scouts fan. Uh, or – and so one thing that we do know and we've talked about on this podcast before is about how people tend to give quite generously when there is a huge disaster, right? So we've talked about it, you know, hurricanes, fires, earthquakes, tsunamis – pandemics. And so there was this real influx of giving that happened when the first shutdown happened, um, you know, back in the spring. But what we saw is that most people obviously were giving to those frontline organizations that were being hit the hardest by the needs of people experiencing the pandemic. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that being said, it would make sense that people are probably at that time not giving to the American cancer society um but instead giving to food banks or those sorts of organizations yeah i mean the the theory posited by the usa today article actually is in direct conflict with the data i'm seeing um do you get the fep updates every quarter i don't i need to yeah you should um any of our fundraisers out there Check it out. Um, FEP stands for Fundraising Effectiveness Project. Really, really great source of data on all things fundraising. Um, and they're the ones who compile the annual numbers of like what donor retention rates look like and how many new donors the average nonprofit gets. Well, they put out quarterly data. And this data comes from a ton of different sources. Some of it they are actually able to source directly from nonprofit CRMs, from the donor databases that are being used. And so it, it's pretty, you know, pretty vast. Um, most of the organizations are smaller, right? We're not talking about the American Cancer Societies necessarily. It's your local mom and pop, so to speak, nonprofits. And so their, their second quarter 2020 data is actually incredibly positive. It shows increases basically across the board. So the number of donors that each organization is seeing, up 7%. Um, donations overall, up 7.5%. Donors under $250, which, you know, are just kind of general donors, are up 19%. So this data would actually indicate to me that most nonprofits are seeing an influx in donations. And do you think that that's including, I mean, that's just taking a wide swath, right? Mm -hmm. I mean... So that's including kind of arts organizations, because I do know that that, sec that part of the sector has taken a, a big hit. Right. Well, and I think that's where the, this balance is. We're seeing right. increases to certain segments of the nonprofit sector where others are being hurt pretty significantly. But I, again, I'm just, I want to go back to that, the article title, which makes it, makes it sound like it's all doom and gloom, right? Like our nonprofit sector is on the verge of collapse, when it's not necessarily that way. Do you think that's a bad thing? 
do you think an article like this encourages people to start giving? No, of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you and I were chatting about this briefly earlier, um, and I'm going to repeat it because our listeners weren't there for that conversation, which is why we do a podcast and the whole reason we're here today. Um, Exactly. (laughs) But the... The nonprofit sector as a whole doesn't make it into USA Today for everything being all rosy and happy. It's not like, oh, look, our nonprofits are doing great. Let's put them on the cover of the money section. Right. It's it's this kind of like on the brink, scary, scarcity <clears throat> stuff that is going to make it into USA Today. I always appreciate when we see nonprofits getting covered. Co- Man, words are really hard getting coverage (laughs) when we see them kind of in like the public. Um, And we know that donor distrust of nonprofits is a significant barrier. Yeah. People won't give if they don't think that the nonprofit is doing well. If the sector as a whole isn't doing well, it adds into those concerns folks have about giving their money. So an article like this that positions the sector on the brink I don't think is going to help. We also know this from just general fundraising, right? Like there's there's a line of being honest and transparent with your donors about the reality of your organization. And at the same time, donors give to organizations that are doing well. It's that winners give to winners, right? Like we, we want- Yeah, we talk about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so saying that organizations aren't doing well, I don't think is going to spur on like this generosity that's been untapped over the last six months. Well, I just think it's a little premature. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of getting into what our thoughts are about it. And if you can't tell from this podcast, I'm a little less data driven than Nia is. Thank God we're a pair and she can help balance me out. So I'm not basing this really on any specific data, (laughs) more of intuition. Um, and I hope that I'm wrong, but I feel like our stormiest days are ahead in 2021. I I actually think that that's probably right. I think it's going to catch up to us, Um, whether, and it's, you know, this is speaking directly about individual donors, right? And we've talked about foundations before. So there's all definitely um, other revenue streams that are going to be impacted. You know, we've talked about events, like, I'm sorry, but virtual events can only take you so far and you can be on the leading the cutting edge of that and coming up with these really great interactive ideas. But at the end of the day, when you're not in person, there's a certain magic that's lost Mm -hmm. that are usually at these events. And so this isn't really speaking to that either. This is just speaking to one person saying, I want to give 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think one of the bigger risks is going to be government grant reduction um, major yeah. changes to programming that brings in service revenue. Like, yeah. I think that is where we really need to be scared. Um, I was talking to a number of clients this year or this week, um, last week, this month, I don't know, some time period. Um, yep. And we're, you know, in budgeting season for 2021. And there are these huge question marks around some of their big grants. Huge. Because they were all committed through this calendar year, right? They were contracted for, so they knew that they had them. 
and yep. we don't know what next year is going to look like. And that it that part I think is going to have a bigger impact than these fluctuations in individual philanthropy. Well, it's funny because in my small part of the universe, um, I look at individual philanthropy as our lowest hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. And in 2021. Oh, totally. You know, for those that haven't encountered the financial hardships that a lot of people have so far, it's because they're sitting on a lot of money (laughs) and they still have capacity to give. So, well, how do we, how do we engage them? I think even middle-class Americans are feeling that right now. Like there's this sense of almost like abundance, because you're seeing your friends, your family members who are struggling. And if you're not, I think that is actually a really powerful driver of giving in that those like interpersonal spaces. So Ooh. nonprofits who can tap into that, especially human services organizations, I, I think you're right. Uh, there's some real opportunity there. That's such a great point. I love that. That's so true. Well, I did want to tell our listeners, because you'll really enjoy this as much as we did, that there was one spot in the, one place in the article where they said, social justice causes have seen an increase in donations this year through Amazon's Amazon Smile. (laughs) And that was it. It's just like one. Oh my God. What do you think that increase looks like? Do you think they doubled their annual contribution from twenty to forty dollars? <laughs> uh yeah, we're not surviving on Amazon Smile donations, that's for sure. Uh, since our last recording, Brittany and I got to speak to this group of um, students at one of our local universities, um, and all these students are interested in some sort of social, entrepreneurial, nonprofit kind of work. Um, and so they had a lot of questions about just the sector and what it's like and the realities of working in it. And, of course, the gosh darn question came up about uh, corporate give backs. Gosh darn. Those gosh darners. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think they framed it in, like, um, the roundups and those kinds of things I, yeah, they wanted to know, like, at the grocery stores, you know, when they ask you to round up or um, vote for a nonprofit that a portion of their proceeds will go to, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, all of those are great. I'm glad we have them. And it's not part of your fundraising plan. Well, and the point I made to the students that day, too, was that those kind of philanthropy schemes, I'm going to call them, um, like a roundup, um, that isn't the corporation's philanthropic dollars. That is you as a customer giving your money for them to then dole out. Yeah, for them to say, like, look, we were able to donate X amount of money, but it doesn't come from their revenue at all. Right. I mean, technically, yes, Amazon can say that 0.5% is part of their profits, technically. Right. And, uh, I mean, it's it's pennies. But the, the roundups or the, like, jars that you put your change into, that that is not the company giving their own money. Right. Yeah, I mean, they might match it. Do many. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love your tone. <laughs> so jaded going into the holidays, guys. I know. We've become so cynical. Well, and it's interesting, this article you brought up, because uh, one ran in the Denver Post maybe a week before, um, along these same lines. The, the title of the article is, Colorado nonprofits anxious about crucial fall fundraising period amid pandemic, recession, and political uncertainty. Dun, dun, dun. See, that, I need that. That's the third time I've done that in this episode alone. So I need that little button that makes that noise. Do you know how much work it took me to add in the clapping to that one episode? Oh, but it brought such joy, such joy to my life. Well, this one's interesting, too, because I think it, this article plays on that continued scarcity, that continued anxiety nonprofits are having. And yet the data refutes that. We now have multiple surveys that have been done nationwide where donors say, where a vast, vast majority of donors say that not only do they plan to maintain their giving at year end, but they're hoping to increase it. Yeah. Now I was going to ask you about that, um, of what your expectations are for year end 2020. Yeah. Hmm. Good question. Um, I feel really mixed. And I know that my clients are a unique subset, um, not just because they have my skills added to their services. But uh, because a lot of them are very much human services, very impacted by COVID, um, and our messaging is tying all of that together. So I think for my clients, I'm actually expecting a pretty successful year end. Um, The pandemic has provided some unique opportunities to bring donors even closer to the realities that their clients are experiencing right now. So I'm hoping that that will spur giving. Um, So I think if I were to you know, kind of zoom out a bit, I would think human services, social justice organizations will do well at year end. I do too. I was going to say the same thing. And there's something in me that just wants to call out the organizations that are struggling right now, because I know that 2020 has been a really tough year for some, um, particularly like, uh, like performing arts, uh, and the big theaters and who haven't been able, you know, who's big revenue stream is ticket sales and performances and they haven't been able to do any of that. So I've been working with a few clients um, who do like summer camps as one of their big revenue streams. They are really struggling. Um, I think we should give a real shout out to Calwood right now. Um, Absolutely. So again, for those of you who aren't in Colorado or not in Boulder County, Calwood, just this amazing location up in the foothills outside of Boulder. Um, they do educational programming. They've got a retreat center. I know I've gone up there for like team building meetings, uh, beautiful trails. Um, well, one of the fires started right near them, um, not too long ago. And luckily their buildings were all saved. Um, but the impact to their nature areas is pretty significant on top of having most of their programming for summer 2020 canceled. So, um, We'll make sure to share out a link um, if you want to donate to them um, or even just learn more about Calwood because they're a really amazing organization. Um, After the fire went through that area, they were then housing firefighters at Calwood. I I just That's amazing. They're incredible. That's amazing. Um, So, yeah, I would say that kind of my PSA to those listening 
even though maybe as a whole um, donations are up, we know that there are certain parts of the nonprofit sector that are really struggling. And if that is someplace that you have given in the past, you know, this is my PSA to continue that giving. So, um, you know, obviously if you have capacity and you're able to do so, but not wanting to forsake these organizations um, that maybe aren't front and center right now, but if we don't support them now, we might lose forever. Yeah, I can't remember who it was, but somebody said something like, we need to give in a way that helps us envision the future we want. So if we want these organizations mm. part of our community after the pandemic, after you know this moment we're in, we have to keep giving to them. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Also, we want to hear from you. You know, what what are you experiencing? Um, you know, we have listeners from all across the country. Um, and as we know, in Bermuda um, and other places Sweden. internationally. Sweden. Ooh. So uh, we would love to hear um, what your reality is. Because, again, we're reading these different data points um, from various sources but it's always nice to get the anecdotal data as well. Well, and I think that also brings us full top full circle, circle on this topic. Ooh-wee. I think I'm the only one on cold medication right now though. I do just want to point that out. I know. So I, I have been on this struggle bus for like the last week and a half where I'm now having stress dreams about the things that I said that were wrong. Because I'm just not Aww. all there. I'm just not firing on all cylinders. Anyway, I think that brings us full circle on this topic because part of what we're seeing in these articles is um, a skew to large organizations yep, and a lack of data. Yeah. Right? The, the media coverage is not showing this fundraising effectiveness sh- data that shows that actually a majority of organizations are seeing an increase. Or these donor surveys that show that individuals – intend to give and give generously at year end like that that's the skewed media perception which is always that nonprofits are weak with their hands open and struggling to survive and i think that's true outside of a pandemic but it's especially true right now well and my question would be and it's kind of what you and i talked about earlier before we started recording is that there's they're talking specifically about individual donations but, you know, even in these organizations that are struggling, is it because of a decrease in individual donations? Or have you seen that revenue line item actually increase? It's just your other revenue line items, like your ticket sales or whatever it might be, is like so decimated that even an increase in individual donations can't make up the difference. Right. So if nonprofits are struggling right now, is it really for the reasons that this article says it is for? Right. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We're not so sure. So we want to hear from you. How can they contact us? They can email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. They can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm going to go on record saying right now, we are going to do an episode in January following up on this. So I think we should oh. try to get info from as many of our listeners as possible about how year-end is going, 
Maybe we'll even mm-hmm. throw up some quick polls online um, because it maybe a hashtag. Oh, you, you think we're going to get trending by January? Awesome, Brittany. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I think we continue to speculate and the proof will be in the next two months. So tell us how it's going. In the meantime, I just want to wish you a very happy Halloween. It is my most favorite day of the entire year. I want to thank you for your participation in our Halloween costume contest. It is a tight race. Tight race. And we are going to have, well, I guess you'll hear this after the fact, so it doesn't even matter. I was going to say we're going to post our final one on Halloween. But it by the time you hear this, we will know who is the costume champion for 2020. <laughs> And this will go out the day before the election. So if you are hearing this and you haven't voted, get your ass to fucking vote. Uh, And if you have already voted, well done. Go text three of your friends and make sure they have to. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Like always, if you have capacity, we've said it multiple times during this episode, and I'm going to end it here with this. Please remember to give support your local nonprofits, and give generously. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.